eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. <coughs> There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now. And yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. Intro the thing. Sure. We'll talk about some movies. Hey, yeah. listeners, you're listening to Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are a podcast where usually three friends get together and talk about a horror movie. This time it's Will and me. I'm Richard, and uh, we're not professional critics. We're just uh, friends talking about movies, and uh, we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song intro creature features at the top of the show. You can find their music digitally on Apple Music or on Amazon. And you can say hello to them on Facebook where they are the moon-rays. And uh, you can say hi to us on Instagram or Facebook where, you, where we are chewing the scenery. And we made a coloring book. Yes, that's right. We made a Plan 9 from Outer Space coloring book. Uh, the three of your hosts got together, did this. Uh, we took our time. We did it right. You can go to plan9coloringbook.com. That is plan, the number nine, coloringbook.com. That'll click through to Etsy where you can buy the thing. And um, I'll send you some extra stuff. I'm not going to tell you what, but you'll get stuff in addition to your coloring book. Um, I think that's housekeeping, isn't it? That sounds good to me. Yeah, we, oh, uh, well, the spoiler warning. We uh, will spoil the movie from 1932 that we're talking about and uh any other old movies but uh we'll try not to spoil the recently watched too terribly much uh as a courtesy to our listeners so having said that um do you want to do the recently watched first i have not watched much recently actually i've uh 
just been watching more Star Trek The Next Generation. Ooh. They're, they're getting a bit better. How's the behavior of, uh, of uh, number two? Uh, oh, he's, he's something else. <laughs> we laugh because you can tell he, has, he wears a girdle. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if I ever noticed that. Yeah, there's that. a... Uh, the... I'm watching the series on Netflix, and uh, the quality is really good. Uh, it's high def, so you can see all sorts of little defects and uh, whatnot, uh, screws and scuffs on the floor, or the fact that they needed to vacuum the carpet on the on the bridge of the Enterprise because there were like stains. <laughs> and we were laughing that maybe Picard had a dog for a while. <laughs> Uh, or a tribble yeah and at one point they pull out a drawer or actually it it puts itself out it pushes itself out because somebody pushes a button but you could see the side and you could see the wood grain oh nice it's like a cheap set of drawers they painted flat gray and stuck a a greeble on and had somebody push it from the back when they push the button you know I I do have to wonder if uh, if everybody working in television said it's 72 lines per inch, they can't see anything. Just definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They throw a, one of the crew members through a set of doors and you can tell they're just wooden uh, closet doors painted gray and they forgot to paint the bottom. Ooh. So you could see the wood for just a split second. And that's only, you know, because it's in high def now you can i imagine tv it would have been so quick you wouldn't you know you wouldn't have noticed yeah old-fashioned tv old-timey hand crank televisions yeah (laughs) the the zoetrope version powered right (laughs) it is funny though like you can't get away with anything as far as uh makeup wardrobe set design it's it's all under scrutiny now like you could yeah you could walk up to your tv and see all the pores on you know some some newscaster's nose you could you can see oftentimes where warps makeup ends on his neck to his collar oh and uh because he he's black but his skin is a lot lighter color than uh than his face makeup oh interesting yeah, you never know. I never noticed him watching it in you know syndication all those years ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, some of them are some of them are uh, pretty bad, but we're still in the very beginning of the second season. I guess there was a writer's strike that year. Oh. So some of the episodes are like, wow, this wasn't even a full episode. This was a. Uh, this was like they had half an idea and then no B plot at all. And just, ooh, let's, let's try to fill a whole, you know, 47 minutes, 49 minutes, whatever the show runs. No, weren't, weren't the, um, quote unquote, unscripted TV shows, the reality shows able to get around the writer's strike by saying, we don't have writers. It's reality. I believe that was what they what they said. Wouldn't that be cool if Star Trek just did that? They're just like, yeah. stay in character, but make everything up as you go along. 
Just make it up. Act like, like a bunch of bad enthusiasm. Yeah, like a bunch of bad roommates or something. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a there was an episode we liked that they found a uh, spacecraft from the twentieth century nice. that had cryonically frozen people in it who had died, and Data rescues three of them. And uh, there's a housewife, there's a businessman, and then there's like some sort of country western music singer. Like a bad version of the village people? (laughs) No, it's like George Jones died and they sent him into space. Oh, okay. And I want that series so bad. Oh, that would be great. He like befriends Data and he wants Data to become his manager. Of course, Data says no on the show. But it would have been so much better if he, you know, he could have been like a Colonel Tom Parker to this guy's, you know, Elvis. Yeah. And uh, they fly around the galaxy. I like it. (laughs) I like it, too. You know, like Merle Haggard in the 25th century. Oh, that'd be great. Space Cowboys. Yeah, exactly. But but they... He wouldn't fit in at all with anybody. Nobody would care about his music. Right. But they'd come see him because he's such a novelty. Yeah. And then they'd ask him a bunch of wrong questions about the 20th century. Now, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on the idea of the bad roommate thing, kind of like the real world. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like, there's a, a country crock tub with some leftover gawk in it. <laughs> <laughs> and Worf is like, who ate my gawk? <laughs> I'd had my yeah. name on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it said, so do that not does touch. It for me. Okay. Um, for me, um, you know, I got to get at least a cryptid and a UFO in there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, lately. This isn't really lately. I've always been kind of hung up on UFOs, uh, the, the Kennedy assassination, and, and Bigfoot. Those are always going to be. I wish there were more Kennedy assassination things on there. Oh, there's too many bad ones. And not, there's some that are so good about getting like in depth and uh, showing you maybe a few things you don't want to see and telling you a few things maybe you don't want to hear. But there's a lot of crappy ones that were just sort of knitted together from the scraps of other things. And so many bad ones. Oh, it's terrible. And And, just the same information every time. Oh yeah. And it's stuff we already knew, but don't try and spin it a different way. If you don't have any new information, it's just silly. Um, but and, and fall is going to be here before we know it, and there will be the usual, like, uh, well, I guess if you're just streaming everything, it won't make a difference. But maybe more things will come available on some streaming platforms. You know, usually they nail you yeah, with the, yeah. the Kennedy stuff leading up to November. But yeah, um, November, yeah. There's a, um, you know, there, on uh, Netflix, there's that um, fairly recent... Uh, Bob Lazar thing, but there's an older one called UFOs in Area 51, the Bob Lazar tape, or something like that. And it's one where Bob Lazar basically explains the propulsion system of the UFO. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's he's got like a whiteboard and he draws the thing out for you. You got some music. Can you hear that? Is that someone like with some- a just pulled it's up to some the, asshole on a motorcycle out here on my street. Somebody with a gold wing with a stereo that belongs yeah, in a exactly. house. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a gold wing. Of course and it is. And he thought I wanted to hear his music. Yes. 
be you, so considerate. You wanted to hear the the uh, journey catalog. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll take a spill. <laughs> yeah, maybe you could do live commentary from from the road rash situation. Uh, anyway, so I watched this um, documentary where Bob Lazar explains to you, like he's a science teacher, basically, explains to you the propulsion system that uh, he tried to reverse engineer, but how, um, you know, travel across light years could be accomplished just with, you know, disrupting the gravitational whatnots with the so on and so forth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was way over my head, but it was fun to hear about it anyway. Uh I don't know. You you don't believe him, and I do. Or you're skeptical, at least. I'm skeptical. Um, yeah. I, I could leave it at that. Like, I, I think the guy has got no reason to lie. But he could be lying anyway. Plenty of people do. Yeah, exactly. Um, you don't need a reason to lie. There was a mummy documentary that looks like it's just the mummy on uh, Prime Video. Oh, and, okay. And it's uh, Christopher Lee narrating. Now, I have to tell you... I was sitting at the table drawing and I wasn't right next to the TV. So I turned it up a little bit and I got to tell you, Christopher Lee's deep voice was just humming and blaring. And there were like plates rattling off the table and (laughs) windows were breaking. (laughs) His voice is so low that when he's narrating this damn thing, it's just like, like, God damn, Christopher Lee. What a luxurious, deep voice the man had, but uh, to a fault if you have to turn your speaker up too far. Uh, But it was really cool. Uh, They went from just like, here's where all the mummy movies kind of went, and here's some ways they sort of deviated a little. And then he got into a little more about um, other reanimations like zombies. So it was a cool doc. It was about an hour long. It was probably under an hour. Uh, but it's, it'll, you'll just see a title, The Mummy. But when you look at it, it's from 1998, Christopher Lee narrating. It's really good. Um, of course, you and I both saw The Mummy Dearest, a horror tradition unearthed uh, documentary on uh, my uh, legacy collection of The Mummy. Universal put out the legacy collection back in 99. And you could get all of the collected works of the Dracula movies on one set of DVDs and the Frankensteins on another. I ended up owning all of them except for the invisible man. I didn't feel like I really needed to own that one. So I have most recently purchased the creature from the black lagoon, but the mummy was the first one I bought. Um, mainly cause I was throwing a Halloween party and I was going to put it on a loop. Uh, Oh, the, the scene where he opens his eyes and blinks and his arm moves a little. Yeah. I just had that on a loop on the TV. It was just playing. Yeah. It was a, it was a mummy themed party. Um, I watched a documentary called on the trail of champ from, uh, 2018. This is about the Lake Champlain monster. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of, uh, compelling witness testimony and some pictures, but, I don't think they really got a monster in their lake. No? Nope. Somebody illustrates how the one really compelling photograph could just be uh, a stump that's sort of upside down and there's a curvy part of the root system. That to could, look like the knack. Or... Yeah. And it might have just bobbed up for a moment and then sunk and moved on. It was the corpse of Bigfoot floating on the river. <laughs> yeah, his foot was sticking up. It looked like a neck and a head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's fun. It, it's not something that I think is a must-see. But if you like the cryptids, you know, the cryptid creatures, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. Because it's, it's less, there's less said about it that's been said over and over than about Bigfoot, Yeti, whatever, or Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. Even the Mothman has kind of surpassed uh, Champ. Yeah, Champ is kind of out of favor. I don't know why. I think only because Mothman had some sightings in Chicago recently. That's weird, isn't it? Like, I keep hearing about the Chicago Mothman sightings. Yeah. Mothman always wants to show up where there's a body of water that had industry on it. And Mm. a lot of bridges that, mm, who knows, maybe could collapse. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was thinking maybe he was looking for commercial property to rent. (laughs) That's a good possibility, too. Near the water. Yeah, you know. It, 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 you know, never loses its value. Yeah. So there's, you know, that. Um, I'm curious, like, who who are these people? Who, who, is, who is seeing the Mothman? Um, I don't know. You know, it, it's not always the same kind of people, but eh, it'd be interesting. Um, so, as I said toward the end of our last episode, there's a, a certain sort of noir uh quality to the the look of these 1930s um universal studios pictures and i thought the mummy has a really cool like this romance over over the thousands of years uh Mm -hmm. transcends time and uh you have to use these these magic spells and these other um machinations (laughs) Tana, what is it? Tana leaves? Tana leaves, yeah. Okay. All right. Whatever. Um, I don't think there's any such thing, is there? No. Well, well, in one of the, I think it was in the, the sequel, which I'll talk about the mummy's hand. I think they're like, these have been extinct forever, but here's a big drawer full of them. Uh, but yeah, there's a whole bullshit thing there that we could talk about. But um, yeah, this romance that transcends time and, uh, and the ages and, uh, it's it's been done some different ways. Uh, it was done in Dracula. Yeah. Like the year previous. So it's not like it's the most original idea. But for then, it was a pretty new idea, wasn't it? Mm, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing that's probably a pretty old idea, actually. Yeah, I can't think it's of... It's been used uh, uh, as for being used in movies? I'm not really sure. I guess that's it what I mean. It may be new for movies, but I'm sure it took place in books and magazines and whatnot. There probably weren't a whole lot of, uh, there, there probably weren't a whole lot of movies that did it, but perhaps over the history of written fiction. Yeah, sure. Um, now, I've always sort of complained that this movie is a little quiet and maybe a little slow. But it's only 73 minutes long, so I paid attention to it this time. Yeah. And it's like, okay. My other complaint was always like, we don't see the mummy do anything. Mm-hmm. Which isn't necessarily true either, because when uh, Karloff um, becomes uh, Karis... Uh, no, he becomes... Im- uh, uh, Imhotep. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I had that backward. When when he... Uh, Ardeth Bay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when he becomes the guy with the fez, with the wrinkly mm-hmm. face, we get a lot of camera time with him. 
Yeah. And he's, he's just a better looking version of the mummy. That's all crusty and wrapped up. Um, mm-hmm. which what's worse that they could have used a few more minutes of screen time with the wrapped up mummy or that later movies just had him bumbling around through the whole movie doing like super strength stuff, like busting through walls and fences and things. I think it works better if he's this way. Yeah, I think so, so you too. You can get some dialogue, you can get some, I don't know, different kind of menace than just a big creature breaking through the walls. Yeah, now I have to ask you before we really dig into the movie, um, what was your first experience with this one? Do you even remember? Like, how how far back does this go for you? Uh, I don't remember when I first saw this one but i remember when i last watched it was probably in high school at a halloween party um and i remember thinking this movie sucks it is so boring right and you know you always clamor to watch dracula or frankenstein or the wolfman right uh i think i actually like this one better now certainly better than dracula oh yeah um, you know, yeah, it's the same sort of story. Uh, it has a lot of the same beats and was written by the same person. Um, but, uh, I just felt like this came together better. Mm-hmm. I also found that your copy was, uh, uh, you could hear it instead mm. of, I remember it was real, high pitch, fast talking people when we watched it on VHS. Oh, like the timing was off. Was, I don't know if the timing was off or it was just the sound was bad. Oh. But uh, I don't remember it well enough, but I just remember being like, what? What did that guy say? Who? And then, and then it was quiet for a long, long time, as far as I remember. So I wasn't really looking forward to rewatching this, but... I enjoyed it quite a bit. I didn't think it was slow at all. Yeah, it, same here. Like, um, I think my most recent watching of this may have only been a couple years ago, and that that's when I warmed up to it again. But I think watching it maybe when I bought this, you know, 15 years ago or whenever it is, I bought, I bought this set. I remember hearing they did such a great job restoring everything, and it was going to be really super clean and... Blu-ray wasn't invented yet. It was, you know, the height of technology for this sort of thing was DVD. And let's be honest, this comes out on Blu-ray. I don't need to buy it. This is as sharp as it's going to get. You can see the film grain. Everything's restored. I don't need to go a notch up from this. But um, I bought it and um, mostly just to loop it on the TV for that party. But then it sits on the shelf for all these years. And I watched it a couple years ago. I liked it a lot better. And then this time... I really appreciated it more for the look of it and uh, what some of the actors are doing as far as like the physical acting from Karloff. Um, uh, it's super interesting that uh, uh, Zita Johan, the, the, uh, uh-huh. who plays uh, the, the female Helen. Helen, the female lead who is also the uh, uh, reincarnation of Anuk Samun. Uh, so, uh, she apparently was into the occult. I don't know if you yeah if, if you had ever heard this before that documentary. No, I've never heard of her. I, I mean, 
same. Like I didn't know. And so she probably had a lot more insight than anyone else on the set. Yeah. Writers included. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but she had a really gorgeous, um, you know, the transition from the silence into the talkies, that whole look uh, mm-hmm. that everything had back then. You know, they were still doing the makeup a certain way. Things were still being lit a certain way. Yeah. But it had that really romantic silver screen quality. And she had the perfect look for it, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, Karloff, of course, is so striking that you put somebody with her soft features and all this great lighting and great makeup and everything, and you put her next to the, you know, the, the just those acute features of his face and the deep eyes with the makeup on top of it and the costuming. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. And I felt like... Well, and his, his acting is really good because uh, watching it in the past, it he doesn't do much. If you're ready for action, you know, if you're expecting some sort of big scenery-chewing monster movie, you're not going to get it from him. He's very underplayed, but I think it really works. He doesn't move much. He kind of walks like a mummy. He keeps it very yeah. reserved, and, and I think that is why, because he, mm-hmm. he wants this to feel like he's from a different time, and, yeah. and his body is not used to being this yet. Mm-hmm. Um, this, okay, let's jump back to that, to that scene. Okay, so we've, before we do, I should probably say my, my history with this goes back to my earliest memories because this was always on the creature features. This was always on, you know, that Friday or Saturday night or Friday afternoon, Sunday afternoon monster show you know, whichever one it was, this was always yeah. going to be, this was going to pop up eventually. And, uh, I probably saw it at four or five years old and saw it again the next year and the next year. And it was never not there. My memory includes the mummy <laughs> to, to like early childhood. And, uh, I, a couple funny things about that later, but, um, it was always there. And, I distinctly remember not the scene where the mummy starts to reanimate and come to life and his eyes blink and his arm slightly moves and that's it. Then you see bandages drag out. You don't even see him do anything. That's it for the mummy for the movie. However, as a kid, what spooked me is when those stone statues and and growing up in Chicago, we would go down to the field museum of natural history. We would see stone statues from Egypt in in person. You knew what they looked like and you knew they were solid stone when they came to life in those flashback scenes. Mm -hmm. That was spooky to me as a kid. That's funny. It visually works for me now. Yeah. Cause those massive like black granite looking sculptures all of a sudden, the arm moves and gestures. It's yeah. like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's going to come and get you. You could outrun the mummy, but this thing could just stomp you or something. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so jumping back to, like, the favorite scene for a lot of people is is uh, watching that guy lose his mind when the mummy walks over and grabs the scroll. Mm-hmm. This is back when you believed 
that if, if you saw something unbelievable, your mind would just go to jelly and you'd be a useless piece of garbage for the rest of your life? Yeah. A raving lunatic? Like, uh-huh. Ren, like Renfield? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a very reefer madness sort of a vibe to it. <laughs> Puffing away and playing the piano real fast. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You lose your mind after you smoke some pot, and then you jump out a window and die. Mm-hmm. Or you run some people over in your car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you see a mummy, the same shit happens. Oh, man. <laughs> you were smoking a joint, and you saw a mummy. Your hair would turn white. Yeah, your hair. You sh- Start playing your the piano. never coming back. <laughs> oh, God. That guy, though, he really loses it. Yeah. And then the other, you know, the archaeologist guy walks in and he's like, huh, well, <laughs> this guy's really lost it. What do you do with the did mummy? You, did you see the still, though? Of the... Yeah. That looks fantastic. I can't believe they didn't put that in the movie. How did they not use that? They, You see Karloff, uh, you know, in the, in the whole frame, like, taking the scroll away. Yeah. I don't know why they, they changed it. Because the less you show, the scarier it is. This is true, I guess. Plus, it's the very beginning of the movie. If you're not going to have the mummy in his bandages the rest of the movie, I think you've kind of, you know, yeah, top-loaded the, the whole picture. Yeah, and then disappointing everyone afterward. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking for him for the rest of the movie, and, uh, and you get Imhotep. Mm-hmm. Now the flashbacks, okay, other than the stone statues coming to life, which I found spooky as a kid, I also felt like we were watching footage we shouldn't have seen, like a snuff film or something where the slaves who bury the... Uh, oh, yeah. They get, they get speared by the guards. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought the scene where they were wrapping uh, Karloff up was... Terrifying terrifying this time i don't really know why but i guess because you're a kid you just again it's not action based so you don't care because you don't have the mummy coming through the wall at you right you know instead you got to think of this poor guy being wrapped up and buried alive yeah and then i don't i don't know if they did this in the mummy or if they did this one in the mummy's hand they reused all that footage yeah, in the mummy's hand, they reused it. Yeah, and then they just took some male lead and dressed him the same as Karloff and then just cut the the scenes in with the face using this actor and then anything from the distance or the side or the back, they just used the Karloff footage. Yeah. Now, they said some bullshit in that one where, and then the slaves buried the sarcophagus and then the guards killed them. And then they, yeah. dug, then they dug it up and moved it. Well, what's the point in that? Oh, I, did they say that? I didn't hear that. Uh, well, I think you would have to have watched the Mummy's Hand. I don't think they mention. Oh. I don't think they mention it in the documentary. They show it like, oh, okay. hey, they went and reused this footage. Well, they yeah. they reused it and they cut in the other dude, but then they're like, they then they dug it up and moved it. Well, then why did they kill the guys who did the digging and burying? 
then someone just had to dig that up and bury it somewhere else. Yeah. It was dumb. I mean, I could imagine if I was paying attention at five years old, I would have been like, well, that's why. why? <laughs> what was the point behind that? But they said something like the guards killed the slaves and then later they killed the guards. Yeah. So then did they have to go one more layer and kill those guys? Uh-huh. I don't know. It sounds like... Some... That's why there's no more ancient Egyptians. <laughs> yeah, they all had to kill each they other. They just kept killing each other. So there was none left. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, one of the things that I forgot on my recently watched was I did watch a, uh, a documentary about the Sphinx. I think it's called The Mystery of the Sphinx. And, mm-hmm. and it's got... Uh, Graham Hancock in this. Uh, Charlton Heston is narrating. Or host, oh, man. Hosting and narrating. So he's got that pompous thing going on with his his voice and his Man. swagger. Um, he, no, he, he's reserved enough to where you don't feel like you're being beat up by his words. But it's pretty interesting. Like, this thing was buried forever, like thousands of years. I don't know what the sandstorms were like, but then uh, they tried to figure out, like, why there was all the weird erosion around the, like from the shoulders down. Like, yeah. And uh, they figured out that it was water erosion. It's, the, it's, it's really interesting. They get into the science of all of it, but uh, holy crap, they built some big stuff back then. Yeah. Those, those pharaohs must have really had quite the healthy egos on them. Well, you needed people to work. It was a way to, keep people busy during the off seasons yeah i guess that's true <laughs> so, so it, you, know, yeah, all, you don't uh, want a bunch of people milling about with nothing to do you get revolutions if you're not careful with that going yeah, yeah stuff bad stuff happens so put them all to work at a giant public works project mm-hmm. yeah a piece of public art like the sphinx yeah i think we should do that now yeah, yeah. put one on either side of a library entrance there good. we go, yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, we do get that, that great lead-in for this movie. And, um, you know, that, like I said, that footage that looks like like almost Blair Witchy sort of found footage stuff. You know, like we're not supposed to be seeing it. Yeah. Like it's archival somehow. Although it's just, you know, the words behind it are someone explaining it. Um, now we, we had, uh, no previous mummy movies I know of, but a lot that, I don't think so. A lot that came after this. Um, do you want to talk at all about, uh, why everyone was so enamored with ancient Egypt at this time? Oh, because the Tutankhamun discovery, uh, yeah. 21, I think it was, yeah, 1921. Yeah. Which the writer of the screenplay was present for. Yeah. Because he had been a newspaper correspondent. I don't remember what paper he worked for. The London Times? Yeah, that could have been it. Um, the New York World News? Yeah, one of those things. The Metropolis Daily Planet? <laughs> yeah. The Globe. Um, the Globe. Yeah, so this is something where... Uh, the whole world went kind of bananas for ancient Egypt all at once because there were bits and pieces and things were kind of neat and you could see the pyramids and the Sphinx and whatnot. But for there to be this 
impressively huge trove of treasures that had never been robbed. Yeah, like the curse be damned, someone would have eventually robbed this. They must have really done a good job of sealing off this tomb. But, um, which by the way was cursed for any listeners who don't know this. Uh, but, uh, People were so blown away by how much gold was in this thing and how beautiful the artifacts were. And, uh, you know, all the, all the museums that had mummies and sarcophagi and statues were just like, wow, but nothing like this. So, yeah. mu- so much gold for the boy king who died at, what, 14 years old or something crazy like that? Something like that. Um, immediately all the art deco world goes crazy and, and everything's the Egyptian motif. Um, there, mm-hmm. there's a theater, a movie theater in Seattle. I think it's just called the Egyptian, if I remember right. Um, there's one in LA. Yeah. I know for sure that's been restored and it's all the mm-hmm. Egyptian motif. Yeah. You go Denver in. Denver got the Mayan motif, which was around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of, it's one of those 1920s theaters. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's so cool. And you go in and like, there's all this crazy, uh, detail, all this sculpture and everything's finished out in the motif. Um, but jewelry, uh, certain, a certain cut to the women's clothing, um, just so much going on with, uh, glassware, uh, home decor. There's a lot going on where you could get Egypt into your life. So it was good timing. Like this had been going on for you know, almost 10 years at this point in time. And they're like, Hey, we're still riding this wave of Egyptian stuff. Let's make a mummy movie. Yeah. So they got the guy who uh, wrote the original stage play for Dracula. Um, John L. Balderson. He had done uh, Berkeley square and the 1927 adaptation of the 1924 Dracula play. Um, he was the right guy for the job. So, yeah. This was released as a Christmas release in 1932. Came out on December 22nd. Really, a Christmas release? Yeah, you know, you got your Christmas mummies. Yeah. Guess uh, so. <laughs> why not? Uh, we had music by James Dietrich, who I don't know anything about, and uh, it's the same as it was the same soundtrack as Dracula, wasn't it? Well, they did use uh, what was it, Swan Lake. Yeah. Yeah. They did use that kind of throughout, but they had some other movie as well. And that's uh, Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky, however you want to say it. Yeah. Um, which was, uh, yeah, they used that in the opening credits of Dracula and then Murders in the Room Org and then Secret of the Blue Room. So they kept using that one. That, that was a real go to. to see Murders of the Room at the Room Org. I've never seen that one. I don't think so. I've never seen it either. Yeah, I bet you Jolien probably has it. On Blu-ray? Yeah, it's a Steelbook yeah. edition. He's, he's given away the VHS and the DVD already. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as the story moves along, uh, what, what, kept you, uh, what kept you with it this time? I don't know, just the acting. Um, I kept waiting for it to be dull. Mm-hmm. And it it didn't happen. That's pretty cool. You know, um, I really liked Zeta Johan. I mm-hmm. thought she was great. Um, I liked the guy who played uh, 
Professor Wimple, the older Wimple, uh, his death scene in front of the fireplace was really good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, sometimes people can't get through a dying scene without looking like, <laughs> I don't know, like a, a bunch of seventh graders having a play. Yeah, no, he, he died really well. Yeah. Um, you know, I like the, uh, the confrontation between the confrontation between the professor and and uh, and Karloff mm-hmm. when he's he just comes right out and says he knows what he is. You know, and Karloff's like, "Well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, now." Uh, I was I was I was kind of interested to uh, to see that that uh, that Carl Frund was kind of a monster. Yeah. Um, he he directed this, made it look great, but apparently was a real pig to the female lead uh, Zita Johan, and told yeah. told her because he wanted her to get fired. Told her she was going to have to do a scene topless. Yes, or from the waist up. Nude from the waist up, he said. Yeah, nude from the waist up. That's exactly. Yeah, and uh, apparently she was just like really thinking on her toes and said, "You get it past the censors, and I'll do it," knowing that you, even though this is quote unquote pre-code, uh, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, um, yeah. They make some. Somebody made a point on IMDb's trivia about how. The code was not, you know, the Hayes Code wasn't being enforced at that time, and there had been movies with topless scenes. I don't think Universal would have put out a topless scene in a major release monster movie in 1932. No, because no, they've got their own internal, like, what they call S&P now, Standards and Practices. Mm-hmm, they had their, exactly. their own set of rules that they... Yeah, they, they weren't going to put that in. No, no matter what this tubby director guy thinks. You know, they'll slip in topless Fay Ray into King Kong in the next year, but... Sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this... Yeah, uh, Zita Johan seemed like a neat lady. Yeah, I, I, I liked everything I heard about her. She lived yeah. to be, what, like 89 years old or something crazy like that? Mm-hmm. But she stopped acting like the mid-30s. Yeah. Or at least acting in movies. She just did not like Hollywood. No, she, yeah, she started as a stage actor, so she kind of felt she was above all this nonsense. Mm-hmm. There was a, a certain conceit that people had back in those days. Yeah, to, yeah. To a different extent. I think these days it was more like, oh, if you've done TV, you, you shouldn't be trying to do movies because you're just a trashy TV person. And these days it's all crossed over both directions. So doesn't now matter. you want TV. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be able to do one, then the other, and then, you know, bounce back and forth. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you get picked up for a series. You'd probably make more than a movie. Yeah. So, um, some of the ingredients that I think every mummy movie needs are these, um, these, uh, machinations w- with these, uh, certain props or you know if you need to have a MacGuffin or whatever you want to call it in your movie uh there's got to be a way to get from dusty mummy 
to walking dusty mummy or uh, slightly more hydrated into wrinkly Karloff form. Um, but you got to get there somehow. So in, in this case, we got some magical leaves. You'll see this throughout uh, Universal. There's always an amulet, a, a wolf's bane, a tana leaf, a, yeah. a magical spell. There's amulets. There's all this crap. You know, it's whether it's a statue or a vial full of some crap. Um, there's always something. You know, there's, yeah. there's always these devices that they kind of uh, write into the script. Um, so you're going to have to have that, obviously. But one of the ingredients I think you need in any good mummy movie, any tolerable mummy movie, there has to be not just an archaeologist out in the field. You've got to get into the museum. There have, mm-hmm. to, there have to be scenes in the museum. Yeah. And that makes, that makes it work so much better. Because he was kind of creepy when he was in the museum in the dark. Yeah. The guard was looking for him. <laughs> yeah. That scene was really cool. Did you, okay, was I, I don't know if I was just talking shit, but did this have some of the same vibe as a, as a uh, film noir for you in, in some of the scenes? That one, for example? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's got that whole uh, uh, German expressionist quality because of the lighting. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, this movie clearly had way, way more budget than a lot of noirs did. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much this thing cost. I don't remember. Oh, I looked at it, but a hundred ninety six. Yeah. hundred ninety six thousand. Yeah. So, well, um, Carl Frund, um, was from Germany, obviously with Carl spelled with a K. Where else was he going to be from? Yeah. Maybe, maybe Austria. He was the director of photography for Metropolis. Uh-huh. And Dracula. And, uh-huh. Did you know he later went on to do I Love Lucy? What? Yes. Um, yeah, he worked on television uh, doing I Love Lucy from 1951 to 1957. Wow. That's bananas. That is bananas. I wonder if he ever told Lucy that she had to do the next scene nude from the waist up. Yes, all the time. Yeah, but Desi Arnaz would have... Vivian Vance was down for it, but he never asked. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Desi Arnaz would have backhanded him. Yeah. You don't talk to her that way. <laughs> Smacko. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, he gave he gave this thing that look, that, like you said, that German expressionist look. Mm-hmm, Yeah. His lighting in this is yeah, is fantastic. Yeah, it's it's stark when it should be. It's soft when it should be. That scene where the camera moves from behind them and up over their shoulders, and then looking looks straight down into the pool, the gazing pool. Yeah, the, yeah. When the the smoke's coming off of it, the the mist. Yeah, is such a good shot. Yeah. That camera movement is so smooth and perfect. It's yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, this this worked on so many more levels now, and it's the movie hasn't changed. We have yes, yes. <laughs> so our appreciation and our our eye for stuff has has definitely uh, gained some depth that maybe we didn't have in high school or also, college or earlier. No, also we watched Fuck Mommy twenty eighteen. <laughs> Or 20, 2017. 2017, yeah. Um, seeing that 
any mummy movie becomes 10% better. Yeah, I guess so. That's like, how did they make, I just kept thinking like, how did they remake this? This being mummy 1932. Yeah. Sort of, uh, into that thing, that Tom Cruise train wreck that we watched. That was just, what were they thinking? They were thinking, let's go make a big pile of money off of Tom Cruise's name, but we have to let him do whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, how'd that work out? Not well. Can, can you imagine if they had the foresight to just say, we're going to do this thoughtfully, carefully, and we're going to plan this out. We're going to pick some of the best directors and get the budget to cast them the way they need to be cast and just start it over again. You know, do Frankenstein, the mummy, the wolfman, and just do them really, really well and very thoughtfully. But no, right out of the gate, they just crashed and burned it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They wanted to move too fast and jump to the the Avengers endgame. Yeah. And not all the setup. I also think a lot of that is lightning in the in a bottle. I think uh, Marvel movies could have very easily fallen apart. I personally didn't care for the Marvel movies when they first came out. I thought they were pretty bad. Um, it wasn't until much later, maybe Ant Man, Thor, Ragnarok, near the end of the run, that I actually started liking those movies and went back and rewatched some of them. Some of them were still terrible. Some of them had gotten better, had been more enjoyable, but, uh, and I certainly didn't watch all of them because I don't have an interest in in doing that. And I think, I think that's just really hard to set up. Uh, I see Marvel, like I said, Marvel could have failed, you know, um, you know, I don't know how much planning you really want to do. I think you want to have kind of an overlying structure, maybe an idea where you're going and some points along the way you want to stop. And I don't think you should do more than that because you're working with so many people for one. You don't know Chris Evans decides he doesn't want to be Captain America anymore. And there goes the end of your movie line, you know, right? Uh, or, you know, what's something like that. Uh, yeah. He decides he's a classical stage actor and it's beyond <laughs> Hollywood. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know how, how well you can think, uh, and plan to, to, to have a franchise because a large part of that is capturing the, the public's interest in it. And that can be real hard to guess sometimes what is going to take off in the in a person's, you know, in the, in the public mind, uh, you know, Star Wars took off. It could have easily be a obscure flop from George Lucas. Yeah. It could have been this hidden gem. Cause it was on cable, you know, like, right. oh, did you see Star Wars? <laughs> what a piece of shit that was, you right. know? Um, and had, yeah. had their effects for the droids and the dogfight scenes in space had those effects looked janky at all that could very well have happened yeah exactly yeah now now the big question here is 
you look at the 1932 mummy movie and it's got that romantic thing and that spooky thing going on. And it's got all that, you know, crazy lighting and, and, and directing going on. How does somebody think you're going to go from this to some sort of action franchise? We're going to turn these movies into an action franchise. Yeah, this is not an action movie. No, and even, like, they tried that and had some success with that. And on uh, Best Movies Never Made, which I have been listening to while at work, um, when they talked about the uh, the Mummy movie that didn't get made. Oh, I, I need to listen to that one. Yeah, they, uh, the, the one guy refers to, um, God, I want to say it was Mick Garris, uh, refers to um, the Brendan Fraser movies as, like, the the studio head that replaced the other guy who was going to green light the original project. Oh, that he wanted Raiders of the lost mummy is how he kept describing it. He's like, this, yeah, that's basically what those movies are. Yeah, and they're pretty enjoyable for what they are. They're fun. They're, they're comical while being an action movie and they could have wrapped it around anything. It didn't have to be mummies. It could have been Dracula's or Frankenstein's. They could have just done mm-hmm. the same kind of formulaic stuff around a different monster and it would have functioned the same. Um, but when you want to do deserts and, and people with an Indiana Jones vibe, obviously the mummy is the right monster for that. Yeah. And it worked. It was fun. Do you try and do that again? Well, it's already been done. So you're hearkening back to the original properties and now you're going to try and make them feel like the Marvel movies and it isn't going to work and it didn't work. No. No, it was really terrible. Do today's audience members for movies, especially monster movies, do they have the patience and the, you know, the depth of feeling to watch something similar to the 1932? Like if it were remade to feel like the 32 mummy? I don't know. I kind of think maybe they don't. I think you have to, you have to, either action it up or maybe you could get a director like Ari uh, Asher who did uh, Midsummer and make him make a mummy movie that's you know got that. somehow a family drama with a mummy right it's got the right kind of tension in it yeah yeah I could see that Ari Aster you doing know, this or, uh, or uh, uh, Eggers oh Robert Eggers would be good too. 100%. That's why when they were saying he was going to do Nosferatu, we were like, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't really want to see a remake of Nosferatu, but if you put him in charge, yeah, I'd want to see it. Yeah. I mean, we, the one with Kinski in it, Klaus Kinski. Yeah. That -hmm. that was cool, but it was a good one. Yeah. I like that one, but nothing holds up to the original because it's so dreamlike. Yeah. It's so weird. It is a, it is a moving, breathing nightmare. It's crazy. I, yeah, I feel like it's a... Uh, I know it was made in 1921 or 1922, but it feels like it was made in 1822. Yeah, yeah. It feels so ancient and so different. And, uh, yeah, that uh, still one of my top favorite horror movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Like how how good something like that can be. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, let's see. I wanted to find this uh, this story about uh, 
uh, Curly Gross, the illustrator, who did the poster art. That beautiful poster for the mummy. Yeah. Um, I wanted to find what Kirk Hammett from uh, Metallica paid for the, like, there was there was such a good condition. Uh, yeah, he uh, specimen of that thing was found and went to the auction. Priciest uh, movie poster ever. I want to say it was over three hundred thousand. He paid for that thing. Yeah, I want to say it was four hundred something thousand oh. dollars. Yeah, four hundred forty five thousand dollars. I'm I'm kind of scrolling through a Wikipedia for what you can trust a Wikipedia page. Um, it says that. Uh, Let's see. Uh, most most of their posters have gone for twenty thousand minimum. But uh, yeah, I don't know if his work is um, gone to auction that much lately because it's getting harder and harder to find this stuff. But uh, the posters attributed to Gros are uh, the Virginian, April Showers, Uncle Tom's Cabin, All Quiet on the Western Front, Dracula, Frankenstein, Murders in the Rue Morgue, The Old Dark Horse, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, The Black Cat, Bride of Frankenstein, The Raven. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's so many. Dracula's Daughter, My Man Godfrey, Godfrey sorry, um, Wives Under Suspicion. Just all of them have that that crazy lighting, that stark look to them but that super colorful thing um just beautiful posters so yeah yeah this was a hungarian american illustrator uh yeah let's say that kirk hammett paid three hundred and thirty thousand or something like this. it's a crazy amount but it was a large poster and it was in like near perfect condition like that stuff just doesn't turn up yeah, I wonder where it was. It was somebody in collection. They find it somewhere. Always dream of finding some, you know, something like that. Yeah, it's like some some uh, action comics uh, number one. Oh man, <laughs> would um, that be the best? Oh god, yeah, it would be. It's funny, you you know, you you think about the stuff you because I mentioned in a previous episode that uh, I had the oversized video box from they live i had a few different posters from video rental places or from the movie theater over the years and most of it all slipped through my fingers uh mm-hmm. over time having moved places and moved back and a woman from kansas once told me three moves are, uh, <laughs> three moves are as good as a fire yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so true. <laughs> especially uh, yeah. especially if you move I, overseas and back. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. I've only moved from New Mexico and just getting rid of crap. Oh know? god, yeah. You're like, "Well, I don't really need the pumpkin head movie poster anymore that I got when I was in 7th grade. Why why am I holding on to this?" Well, what can I say? If you go to buy back all your childhood stuff, you're going to pay a lot more for it. Yeah. I was at a Mile High a while back. They have that big, giant warehouse store. So I felt relatively safe going in with a mask and hanging out. But there was a guy in there about my age who had a little girl. He was probably four or five. And and they're walking along. And she's like, I love this part. Because I love when kids are in comic book shops and they're like, let's go. 
Let's go. <laughs> and Dad's like, no, i got to look at these toys. And that's just what he did. He's like, i got to go check out these toys. So he walks over and he's like, I used to have all these. And he's pointing at some count, uh, some shelves with stuff on it. I used to have all these toys and your grandma threw them away because I didn't pick up after myself. I'm trying to teach her a lesson. <laughs> this little girl goes and looks at him and it's mostly Ninja Turtles and whatnot. She looks for a minute or two and go, and then turns to him and goes, oh, well. <laughs> she didn't give two shits about a Ninja Turtle. No, in fact, she probably doesn't really care that much about physical toys because you can have anything you want these days. Yeah. And mostly they just want to play some app, some game on their phone. Probably. They don't even really want to grab a physical toy as much as we used to want to. Ah, not with action. Corona. Especially now, right? But yeah, it's funny how how the roles are reversed. How the uh, the kids like, can we get out of here? And the parent is like, I want to look at the toys. Can we stay longer? <laughs> yeah, I I think since about two thousand, I think that was around the time I saw some people in in uh, Toys R Us do that. That the kid wanted to leave the toy store, and and dad was like, I need to check out the action figures. <laughs> it's so funny. I I realized some years ago to just kind of pump the brakes on buying things like action figures because you can end up with so much of that stuff. Oh God, yeah. And where do you, unless you have a huge house with like display cases or massive amounts of shelves, where are you going to put it all? What are you going to do with it? You know. I don't know. And if you're going to be freaky about leaving it in its package, then. Why do you, no. yeah, why do you have the thing? Take it out and play with it. Yeah. You know, are yeah. you, are you going to resell this thing you paid, say you paid $28 for some action figure? What do you think it's really going to be worth? They made a million of the damn things. $32 eventually. Yeah. It'll, it'll eventually be worth. Profit $4. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. The, I have a rule. If it, if it's under, if I can't buy it unless it's under $2. Oh, Okay. So I have like a Darth Vader I found for two dollars and a Stormtrooper from two dollars because King Supers got tired of having them on the pegs. Right. <laughs> I was like two dollars. I think that's what they cost when I bought them originally. So. Right. Yeah, in the late seventies when that's what the price yeah. actually was. Maybe three dollars. I don't remember what they were, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you the story about? how I had all the Planet of the Apes figures. Not all of them. I, I had a bunch of them. The Magos? Yep. Migo? Yeah, the original Migos, yeah. And uh, when uh, when there was a dirt hill behind our house that uh, was just a dirt hill for who knows why, it's just really great that there's a dirt hill of this yeah. really sandy dirt. I made Ape City on this dirt hill, not knowing that that was going to be backfill for something. And I came home from school one day and my dad had bulldozed all of that fill dirt into whatever thing it was backfilling and ape city was bulldozed. I I poked around and dug around for days, never found a single thing. No apes. The The apes are all underground. Oh man! Yeah, it's they're now beneath the planet of the apes, but um, I always told my mom if you're ever you know flea market, yard sale, swap meet, anything, I said if you ever see any of those old figures, grab them for me. I'll pay you whatever. All these years, 
you know, since I first said that in my 20s, all these years later, she found one. Yeah. And her, she kept her eyes peeled for them. She found one. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the um, one of the ape soldiers missing his boots. Ah. Yeah, the tunic with the cuffs and, you know, the tights, but he didn't have the boots. Or the rifle, obviously. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they, over the years, did a lot of the... Um, the universal monster figures to end models like the Aurora models. They did, they did them to varying degrees of quality and, you know, physical resemblance to the actors or not, if they were trying to avoid doing that. Yeah. But but I got to say the one I bought of Lugosi as quote unquote, Broadway is Dracula. (laughs) So they don't have to pay universal. Um, Lugosi Enterprises uh, was like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna circumvent that whole Universal thing. Um, the likeness is stunning on that one. Yeah, it really is. I don't remember if it was Polar Lights. I have I have it up on the shelf where I can't see it from here, but uh, that's one of those things where if you're gonna build the model and paint it, then uh, at least you're interacting with it. Because if that thing was just an action figure, what are you gonna do? Like take him out for, you know, a walk and <laughs> build Dracula city in the dirt hill. I don't know. Yes. Dracula city. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a great video game. I had a, uh, a stormtrooper who was lost, um, uh, when I was a kid and later my dad was cutting a tree in our backyard and he found him and the guy had, I had put him in like a knot hole and the tree had grown around him. <laughs> That's so cool. So he was like part of the tree. I, I don't know if that tree's still there, but we left him because, you know, I couldn't pull him out of there. It was too neat. <laughs> That's great. Wouldn't that be nice to have just to have that sliced and framed? Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Just have be able to hang him on the wall, stick yeah. him in the knot hole. Now, was that on the pistachio farm that your folks had? No, this was before we moved out there. Oh, okay. Damn. This was just a tree in the backyard. Okay. Still, though. I often had men go MIA, uh, you know, to be found years later. Oh, sure. Like like a World War II Japanese soldier hiding out in the Philippines till the 70s. Right. (laughs) You know, I found some when my parents, when we moved to the farm that had been lost behind the bookcase probably six years before and i think remembering at the time when they went missing i bet my friends stole those yeah (laughs) always blame your friends yeah i had to mark all my i used to carve my initials on the bottom of their feet so people wouldn't take them oh yeah that's a that's a solid plan for action figures yeah Well, I got to say that well, uh, if, if over the years I'm able to uh, collect a couple more of the Universal Monsters in uh, model form and build them and paint them, I'll do it. But uh, it's going to take a lot to get me to buy an action figure. It's got to it's got to be a really great likeness. Yeah. And it's got to be the right price. I, I can't go as low as two bucks and expect it to happen. No. But I, I say keep it under 30 if the thing's a... 10 or 12 inch figure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's some cool ones out there, but I just don't, I don't want something else collecting dust in my house. That's the thing, you know? Yeah. I've got 
50,000 books behind me here, and I don't even look at them, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Have you considered building a mini library outside of your house, like some people do, those those cool? Oh, no, I haven't, but maybe I should. I, you know, I want to do like a pair. I just fill it with smut and communist manifestos, though. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Like really dirty paperbacks from the '60s and '70s, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I want to do a paranormal library. <laughs> Ooh, that would be great. Except for you know what? It's not shocking enough. How about a satanic library? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I, you know you're gonna just get like middle-brow suburban crap in exchange, though. Yeah. You know, when people come along and put books in your... Yeah, get a bunch of Harlequin romances with uh, Fabio on the front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well. So um, I found exactly one good book in a free library like that, you know, and uh, most of the time they are those Harlequin romance or less even... Not to disparage romance, whatever, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine like there's a lot of crappy mysteries and stuff that are just aren't. Oh really, yeah, yeah. You can figure it out in the first three pages. <laughs> so, um, before I forget to ask, um, as far as this movie goes, uh, is this one that you can recommend to? Um, yes. To your average viewer, or and uh, how do you feel about recommending it to horror fans? I don't know that I could recommend it to the average viewer or horror fans. I could recommend it to uh, movie history buffs. Yeah. You know, I think you never, you definitely have to see this. Or if you're a, a, a horror movie kind of buff, you you should probably watch this one. Yeah, I think as as Jolien puts it, uh, essential viewing. Yeah. Exactly. This is one, and who- it's. Sounds at least the DVD sounded so much better and looks so good compared yeah. to uh, all the transfers on VHS that I watched over the years. And I will I will do like a a, a commercial for uh, the Universal Legacy Collection, which you know came out twenty years. They're paying you. Yeah, yeah. right. Good uh, luck find them on eBay. Yeah, exactly. Like that's where I found the Creature from the Black Lagoon set just recently. Like a DVD. D? Yeah. What is that? It's a different kind of a a file. (laughs) Yeah, I I bought the um, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon set to kind of complete the ones I wanted. Um, Maybe I'll eventually do the Invisible Man set, but I have just... Yeah, you should. I have the Invisible Man. I don't have uh, the the features and the commentary and all that stuff. The the other feature movies, the, the, the sequels. Um, I agree that this is, you know, essential viewing for horror fans that you should know your history and uh, you should appreciate it and look at it through a little different lens than you look through uh, Freddy Krueger to present, uh, you know, Michael Myers to present whatever you what your jumping yeah. off point was, whether it was the 80s or later. Um, but uh, yeah, you should see this stuff and kind of understand it. The Mummy's Hand, I, I want to say quickly, was the first sequel um, that came out in 1940. This tried to be a little cute and a little comical. And uh, the the two kind of, 
I won't say they were like Abbott and Costello because they kind of weren't really, but uh, there's a little stocky guy that was kind of a wisecracking smartass. Um, it's like, whatever, you know, you guys, you guys did what you did, but, and it was fun. And you got more of the mummy shambling around. Uh, that one's kind of fun. The later ones, I need to watch those again. It's been a lot of years. Um, oh, I have to tell you what the funniest thing about Karis is the way they say his name in one of these sequels. My older brother and I got on thinking they were saying Clarence and thinking Clarence. That, we thought that was a weird name for an Egyptian. <laughs> that is weird. We're like, Clarence, why do they call him that? <laughs> Clarence. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, the mummy's hand isn't great, but it's fun. Uh, it's it's a little too cute for me, so I, I do need to watch those other sequels. But uh, yeah, I, I, I rec- people got burned out on horror movies yeah. rolling into World War II. Yeah, probably. They're like, but, I don't really want to go to the movies to be scared when I can just stay home and <laughs> think about Hitler. <laughs> Relive my nightmares while sitting in my armchair. Um, yeah. I think as far as like the, the first movie of, of a series, um, the Wolfman is probably the one that delivers the best on being kind of a light story. It's not expecting you to interact heavily with it and understand its nuances. It's just pretty straightforward is what it is. And the character of a Wolfman is kind of crazy. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't overdo it. They don't give you too much of him to where you're just like, ugh, another scene with the damn wolf man. I would say as far as the first in a series, that one kind of delivers the best. I don't know why I say that, but it's got Lugosi in it. You know, you, you got a lot of silly things going on. You get to see a carnival. You get to see some gypsies. Uh, you got some guy who, for some reason, has an English dad and grew up in England, but it's totally an American. Oh, that's an American accent. Yep. And he's a total... What pe- year was that? 35? 41? Oh, I want to say 41. 41. Oh, okay. It's much later. That's why. Oh, yeah. they had so many under their belt by then. Yeah, they were figuring things out, for sure, by then. Um, yeah, 1941. I just looked it up to be sure I wasn't saying, saying dumb things. Um, yeah, so uh, essential viewing. Any of the first... Of the uh, Universal horror movies, the Universal monsters, you know. Yeah. Just watch all of them. Uh, you know, proceed with caution on the sequels. You may get a little bored or disappointed depending on which ones. But uh, eventually, I think you know you end up watching all of them if you're like you or me. Yeah. But they um, they did the, a, a pretty informative uh, documentary that. Mummy Dearest, A Horror Tradition Unearthed. That's yeah, it. that was bad. Yeah, I kind of like that. So all that being said, um, I'm glad we did this. Uh, and it, it was it was time that I kind of grew into this one. For, yeah. For, for what it's worth, you know, for. Yeah, it was it was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Did you have anything in mind for next time? Are we going to just surprise our uh, listeners and ourselves? Yeah, we'll surprise ourselves. I don't have anything in mind. I'd kind of like to watch uh, Relic. The new one. not it, the... Yeah, not the 1990s. That's what Gene said. And I was like, 
I want to watch Relic. She's like that thing in the museum that came out in the 90s. That <laughs> no. Killer in the museum, whatever it was, with 99% human DNA. Yeah. I don't know what that line means. But right. It means it's a chimp? Yeah. What the... <laughs> what is human DNA? <laughs> yeah. We're the monsters. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, newsflash. News uh, but other than that, I'll need to take a scroll through Shutter and see if there's anything. I'm sure there is something. Yeah, let me know, uh, and we'll uh, yeah, we'll let our listeners know. So, should we call it a show? Let's call it a show. Well, if you if you want to take your time with the uh, the legacy collection of the Mummy and watch some sequels, go ahead. I think I will. Awesome. Well, um, listeners, thank you for listening. Mind the doors.